Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing and how you've let me literally witness your healing hand in the lives of people, even today. Thank you for that. Grace is real. And thank you for the people that don't waste your grace and they don't waste this whole gift that you give us of love. And and this um, thank you so much. Uh, help us to get the deeper message that we we have available to us from John 13, to see more keenly, more acutely truth in that you bring life. The words that you speak are spirit and are truth. The flesh really profits nothing. It's you that gives life. So um, I want to thank you and ask your blessings. Uh, thank you for Raleigh Road Baptist Church. Let's stir their hearts and prepare them to receive truth, please. Thank you so much for each person that's here. Particularly, I want to thank you for Andrea Lowry, who does a million things for so many people and no one knows about it, how she serves and sacrifices and cares. And thank you for the way she's reaching out to someone who really needs help tonight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so John, uh, John 13, and we're focusing in on, on five, 5 to 11. Uh, then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do to you, I'm sorry, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Okay. Uh, in review from some of the things that we've, we've uh, covered last, last, uh, last session, let's focus in on verse 6. So he comes to Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter, and he said, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Right. Now, um, the Greek syntax is rather striking because Peter is using uh, a kind of construction that he's arguing, Lord, you, my feet? And so he's putting these two ideas of that the hands of Jesus would touch the feet of Peter. And he's putting them in the emphatic position. You can't see it in English. But the argument is that Peter is using very, very strong language that doesn't translate well into Greek. And he's trying to, he's trying to communicate the shock of this thing. You, Lord, your hands touching my feet? It's an absurd idea. And, and Peter finds it rather shocking. Now, you have a vantage point. You have the vantage point that you're looking down through the tunnel of time where you see Jesus is doing something holy and sacred in a discipline that we should appreciate and understand on how to care for someone at a practical level. It's a lot like what Andrew Lowry did for James today, where she got down to where the real need is in this guy's house and helping him live in, in a more comfortable, pleasant environment, knowing what his health issues are and what's coming over the next months for this guy, next few months, right? That's very practical. This is what's going on. When you look back in time, if you could enter into the world, you would see just how offensive this is. Very, very offensive. So, he's arguing in such a way that the protest is very well based, very well, very justified, that Peter protests and is stating, your hands, my feet? No. No, this is not acceptable at all. Social interactions, 
are very are very uh, predictable in the ancient Mediterranean world. For example, I had an unusual situation uh, at one time. I was with a very distinguished male who was uh, a combat veteran who fought as a CIA operative, no kidding, CIA operative in uh, an African country, dealing with some things going on that were very, very difficult. And he was sharing some stories with me, and it became very apparent that he was a high-level, high-status person. Well, uh, he, uh, I, I met him once, and his wife happened to be there, and I, in the rush of my moment, I felt like I had 30 seconds to get what I needed done with this particular gentleman, and his wife was right there, and guess what? I never acknowledged her. And I, I should have said, well, hello, Mrs. Smith, so good to see you. How are you today? And then once she was acknowledged and treated with basic honor, I would have gone right on to him and say, hey, sir, this is what's up, one, two, three, what do you think we need to do, pop, pop, pop. And I would have pulled out because I was you know, on the fly at the, at the moment because I broke some social conventions at that moment. You know. Now, he was gracious, and, and we re repaired it quickly. We were good to go. But even we U.S. people have a sense of social etiquette and social protocol, all right? <coughs> well, it is pronounced times a thousand in ancient Mediterranean culture where uh, even right now the person who is seated in the most significant seat in this place right now based on ancient Mediterranean protocol is Carl because she's at my immediate right hand right now. Makes sense. And the person's farthest from me, Branson, would be considered to be the most humble person here, right? That's how they think, right? Now, Jesus turns that up on its head and shatters those paradigms, but it was very, very real back, back then. And so for the person in the highest seat of honor to do what the lowest person would do is culturally absurd. And Peter should have protested. There's a story about a very, very honored and very distinguished rabbi, all right? One of the great rabbis that reinforced, you know, the, the rabbinic culture of the day. And there's a story that his wife, in order to honor him, came in, washed his feet in front of other distinguished Jewish guests. And then guess what she did? To do something to show just how high status he was, she drank some of the water. Actually happened. Actually happened. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Right? Because she was showing how beneath him she really was. Right? Isn't that crazy? So massive amounts of pressure are enforced and distributed in an honor-shame ancient Mediterranean culture. When did that happen? When did Lady do that. Oh, I think it was like the second century. I'd have to go back to my footnote on it, but yeah. So, all right. Um, social, uh, social inferiors, me, expect a patron, a superior, to benefit me, to do something for me, but never serve me. You expect a patron to benefit you, but never serve never. And so Christ just shatters the paradigm to the point that he says, it doesn't matter where you sit. It doesn't matter. All right? Now, uh, Jesus answered to him and said, what I do, you do not realize now. But you will understand hereafter. All right? So this is beautiful language. Check this out. John intends that that we read the story about foot washing in view of the cross. That's what this thing is really about. It's in view of the cross. To the point that the foot washing points to the death of Jesus Christ, particularly to his death, that it's embodied in a pattern of, of humility, of the pattern of glory that leads to humility. Do you remember uh, Philippians 2? What's the, what's the honor-shame sequence, Andrea? Yeah, he was high status, emptied himself, then what? Became human, 
but there's some specific language used. There's a V pattern, an honor-shame V pattern. He's high status, honor, glory. Became a servant. Willfully, that, but that's the key word, yeah. That he took on the form of a bond servant. Okay. Which is typically a typical language that can point to a uh, a base slave. Not a, not a high-level, high-status thing, like a manager or a governor or something. Different set of vocab to get to those things, all right? But then, uh, Andrew, he's exalted again, isn't he? Um, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not, require, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. that is, that's a, a paradigm for Paul. So Andrew, what's interesting is that uh, he bends the knee first. He, he humiliates and serves. But one day every knee will bow to him. Make sense? And so this idea of foot washing must be seen in view of the great sacrificial work of Christ. Meaning that we love each other even to the point of death. We sacrifice at that level. So uh, a couple of terms that are interesting. Um, look at this. Pull this up here for you. Look at um, look at verse. Um, I'm sorry. I have no idea where it went. Let's go this way. There we go. All right. Let's look at this here. Um, you do not realize that's oida in Greek. Oida. You do not realize, and that means just basic. Not just means to know. Like I know how to get my keys out and unlock the door. I just know how to do that, right? Uh, oida, you do not, oida, you do not realize now, but you will, gnosko, gnosko. Anybody heard that word, gnosko? Yes. Anybody, anybody has? Knowledge. Uh, it, it, it's knowledge, but, but Dave, it means experiential knowledge. We're not, it's not like simple knowledge, like I know how to get the, the keys out and unlock the door. It's I realize I'm the owner of the house. I, I realize there's something much deeper going on than just basic knowledge that you will understand, and it is life-changing information that you will understand. Oida, basic knowledge. You don't get it now. Oida, but one day you'll gnosko. You will understand it at a deep, deep level that what I'm teaching you is absolutely life-changing that you get foot washing is all about that which is glorious becoming humiliated for the greater good of sacrificing other for other people, even to the point of sacrificing on, on a cross. So, Simon Peter, never shall you wash my feet. I want you to see this. Look at this. Lege, saying to him, Peter. Now, if you can appreciate these two terms right here. Me, uk in Greek is a strong adversative, and so is it me. It's, it's no. So guess what that is? It's a double negative. All right? Uk, me. It's like, no, no. <laughs> no, no. You are not washing my feet. In fact, a good English translation is, you're never washing my feet. Like, forever that ain't going to happen. Does that make sense? That's the idea. Ain't no way. No, not at all. That will never happen. It's, it sounds cheesy to make all, make all those, to blow that thing up. But in Greek, that's what we're really getting at. It's a double negative. There is no way, not at all, you're ever going to wash my feet. Now, again, we think, well, there's Peter. Sticking that foot straight in his mouth again. 
But if you embed, if you if you were there, you'd do the same thing. Yeah. It was the right thing to say. You don't let a high status person serve you. It, it's it's upsetting culture. It's wrong. It just is not done. You don't do it that way. So it's a big big deal that that Peter protests like this, uh, and then and Jesus says to him, "If you uh, or if I do not wash you." You have no part with me. You have no part. Uh, meros uh, in, in Greek. Meros. Um, the, the term is used in Luke 15 verse 12. Where a boy comes up to dad and says, I want my share of the inheritance. I want my meros. I want my share of the inheritance. I'm out of here. Give me what's, what's mine. I want it. And then it's used also in, in the Revelation to describe, like in Revelation 22.6, Revelation 22.8, that there are people who will have their part, their meros, in the kingdom of God. But they're also going to be a type of person that has their meros, their part, their inheritance, in the lake that burns with fire. Judgment on the fearful, the coward, the unbelieving, the sorcerer, the idolater. They will have their part. That's what they inherit. Does that make sense? So Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no inheritance, no part of an inheritance in me. You know those many mansions that I'm going to build? You're not getting one. Okay? You don't get an apartment in the big condo complex in heaven. You're not going to get it. Now let's hit the pause button because that's some pretty heavy-duty stuff right there, right? So, should we, let's be theologians, all right? Is Jesus saying, similar to what Church of Christ say about baptism, you know, in, in the Church of Christ tradition, in order, for you, in order for you to be saved, what do you have to do? What's their formula? Okay, say, say it again. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Hear, believe, repent, confess. And if you'll do the five-point formula, when you come out on the other side, you're born again. That's it. Because after all, the book of Acts says clearly, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So when you baptize your child... You put them under and you pull them up, would you? And you put them under and you go, should you? And you put them under and you go, did you? And you know, I did. It's just ridiculous. But, uh, you get the idea. No, now, not, not really, but yeah. Sure, sure. So, now how do we take this then? If we're going to be good theologians here, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no inheritance with me. So we do, we ha do we have a third sacrament where in order for you to be saved you not only have to be baptized but you have to also experience a church, an official church sanctioned, church ordained, holy foot washing event to make sure that you have a part in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. If that's all we had to go on, what do you think? It sounds ridiculous because I've never heard that before. Okay. And then it makes me think of, well, like, if I'd never heard baptism before, maybe that would sound ridiculous too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, and I, like, since coming here and reading this and reading it last time, I have wondered, like, I am in the, <clears throat> Jesus answered it, like, yeah, you do not realize now, I think that's me still, because I'm like, I'm reading it, I'm like, what does it really mean when Jesus washed his feet and he said, you don't have a part of me unless I wash your feet, and I'm so, I'm not at the understand. Yeah. I'm just at the, yeah. I don't realize it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Or, or, is there something bigger going on? Yeah. 
this really isn't a part of a particular, what's called in Latin, an ordo saluti, a salvation formula that's being presented. But what's being presented here is that Christ is, he chose the foot washing action to be the thing that helps us get that if you don't accept the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and what that means, you have no part in the kingdom of God. In other words, we have to accept the fact that the one who should not die for us we are the guilty people. He who knew no sin is becoming sin for us. That we who have sinned become the righteousness of God in him. The whole thing is turned on its head. The, the, the righteous and holy exalted one does the unthinkable and touches and washes the feet of the lowly. But that dynamic is the same. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us, that we who are sinful become the righteous of God in him. Is this the bigger picture? Is this the bigger message? Because when you read the entire Gospel of John, that's really what it gets down to. In fact, when you include all the Gospels, it gets down to this idea. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. You've got to settle that. And if you don't, you will not have a part in the kingdom of God. And so it's not that, that there's an actual washing of feet that is the holy action of what's called a salvific, the salvific act. It's not the washing of feet. It's faith that the Savior is doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. You cannot make your own heart clean. You can't. Only he is able to make the human heart clean. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my feet. Jesus said to him, he who has luo, he who has luo, has bathed, Sounds a lot like Luke, doesn't it? He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Wash. This, this is the term. The term bathe refers to bathing as in the whole body, taking a bath, or for us taking a shower. But, but the, word, the word here for, uh, uh, for, for wash is the specific word that refers to literally... Washing your hands, just a singular body part or a specific body part, like washing your hands, washing your face, or washing your feet. So when Christ use, uses this language, he is he's, he's helping us understand. He's not talking about a sacrament. He's pulling away from idea that, the idea that there's some holy water being applied here. He's talking about I am the only one that can make your heart clean. Now look at this. This is interesting. Verse 10. So uh, Jesus said to me, he has bathed. Luo needs only to wash uh, his feet, but is completely clean. He's already, ba- he's already showered. His whole body's been made clean. And then he says this, and you are clean, but not all of you. So what does that mean? That's theologically dense. Did he say, everybody in the room has taken a shower? Except one of you, and we know who that smelly garlic armpit person is, we can smell his armpits. Who is that person? Or is there, what's that? He's talking to Peter. Absolutely. He's talking to Peter and you are clean. But not, who's the not all of you? Judas. Judas. <laughs> Judas, the one who eats carrots. So you'll never forget that now. It's Judas Iscariot. Right, that did not go over well. All right. Thank you, Carla. Thank you very much. Thank you, all right, sneak them in there. Randy will never forget that. Now, now Randy, uh, 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 um, Andrea, what's unique about that, that pronoun? Humes. It's singular. Plural. Plural. Humes. Right. You are clean. So he's talking to Peter, 
and there's this abrupt, shi abrupt shift with the pronouns and goes from singular to plural. So Randy, yes, he's addressing Peter, but addressing the entire group. You are all clean. You're all clean, except but not all. So Peter, Bruce, tends to be the guy that's almost like the, the spokesman for the, for the gang. And so Christ speaking to Peter, who tends to typify what the whole group is thinking. Peter's the guy that tends to speak up. <laughs> goes, goes, shifts it to a plural pronoun and says, you are clean, as he's pointing to Peter. You are clean. Right. But not all of you. There is one. And see, all of this is taking place in the betrayal scene. This is all embedded in the betrayal dynamic. So here's what's in it. Go back to, to chapter 12. <clears throat> Watch this. Chapter 12. Um, and we'll wrap it up here. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, was intending to betray him. And he said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor, the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Interesting that you've got presented in chapter 12, you've got Mary washing the feet of Jesus and anointing his feet, right? Judas protests. You've got in John 13, Jesus washing the Peter's feet and the disciples' feet. Peter protests. The two people that are protesting this extremely humble action are the ones that committed betrayal and denial. Betrayal and denial. The two guys. Make sense? And it's Mary who gets it. All right? And she's the one that is serving. By the way, it's Mary and the mother of Jesus that don't run during the crucifixion event. And they stay at the cross. Why all the men who vowed loyalty run away. Right? Pretty perfect. Okay. Uh, he knew who the one was betraying him. For this reason he said not all of you. By the way, that's an example of, of a narrator. The work of a narrator helping you understand the history. Uh, and I, I like that. You can, you can pick up on this thing. In case we don't understand it, we are foreign to this context. We are far removed from it. We're second, third generation, fourth generation people. And we, we, we get this blessing that he helps us to know. For he knew the one who was betraying him. That's why he said, not all of you. Okay. You're the gifted body of Christ. Based on what we've covered tonight, do you have any questions? Uh, what insight would you give as, as the gifted body of Christ on how this becomes paradigmatic for us today? What's that? It means a normative standard. It is the thing we should do uh, in our daily living out of life and the daily being of our relationships. Humility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think it's interesting why not I don't know the Greek word <coughs> the Greek words for no, like you said earlier, but like mm -hmm. having the real heart knowledge. Yeah. Of like you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will later. It's like not to say that, I mean I think it's really still true today, it's like we have a knowledge, we have some sort of ownership.
but it's like we still don't understand. I really own this house. Yeah. You know, it's like Randy and I and Dave and I have talked about. Um, we're sanctified, but we're being sanctified. It's like yeah. I'm, I know about. Feels like negative. How much I know. You're saying something very important. Let me develop that just a bit. Have any of you received a compliment that you felt like you didn't deserve? Sure. We're all there, right? Okay. Uh, do you think it's interesting that uh, Jesus is speaking well of them? You don't, you don't, Oida, now, you don't know what's going on now, but you will, Gnosko, you will understand personally later. Do you think that gives them hope? Now, these are guys that are going, what is he doing <gasps> he's what no no you don't do that that's wrong I've you're never, breaking all the norms go ahead i've never seen that phrase work with a kid like when you're trying to get them to do something with school you don't follow this pattern you don't understand what's what you're doing now but if you will just keep doing this the light will dawn you're, no, the screaming continues, and then they come to you a few years later. You're right, Mom. <laughs> but that, it doesn't. There's no comfort in that for them at that moment. Children, all of ours did have some birth lives, but well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's just saying it so they'll remember later. He said it. I, I, there's no comfort in that now. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> but, but Andrea, you know all about fish. Chris, I had a question. Mm -hmm. you know, the washing of feet was often, or it was the lowest job in the house. Normally, a defaulted to a Gentile female. Couldn't get much work. Nope. Is there any task, maybe culturally, would be any lower than that? Somebody has to clean out the, the septic sewer I area. I the same thing. <laughs> because that's what the Dalit people are for. They're the toilet cleaners. The, In India? Yeah. yeah. There is a lower job. The lowest caste. Yeah. Well, in this case, you are kind of dealing with a similar thing because they walk through all sorts of dirt and dust and other yeah. things that yeah. falls out of the back of the animals. Yeah. Yes, you know, it's, it's the lowest job that these disciples would probably recognize and say for the most part. And here's their king. interesting that he attacks both pride and false pride at the same time because you have to surrender your pride in order to be washed but should you think that you weren't even worthy of being washed he also nails that because he because he says look you're clean let me just take care of your feet so he's getting at those of us who say, well, I'm too good for you to do that for me, or I'm not good enough for you to do that for me. So is it about really washing feet? Is that what this thing's really about? I mean, for me, when, when I hear this, I, the echo that always comes back to me is the parable with the people, that the guy that didn't show up with the right wedding clothes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really about a hard attitude, isn't it? It's making sure that you're not so high and holy that you don't need him to touch your feet. 
or that you're so self-deprecating that you refuse to let them touch your feet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So what I learned from this is that uh, later tonight, I guess my wife's going to wash my feet and drink the water from it. No, just kidding. Amen. Um, <laughs> I do have a few things I would like to say about this. Is that here we have what Christianity is founded on, Jesus, and here we have him with the uh, the first generation of the church, with his disciples, and yet we see that. Pretty much all of Christianity, what it hinges on is Jesus. We see him serving the church. We see him serving this. One of the uh, things that I've been thinking about for the past two, three weeks and coming with the illustrations, and this is a huge illustration, is um, coming from Ephesians 5 where it says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here we have a fine example of what Christ is doing for the church. As you illustrate it, we see that the image is flipped on itself. And to me, it's like, wow, that's awesome, because in today's society, you see that wives are competing for the husband's role. And yet in scripture, we see that the husband's role is actually to serve, and this is a fine illustration of this, where Christ is serving the church, and if Christ loves the church so much that he's serving them, then husbands should be doing the same. And for me, I'm seeing this not just, okay, I guess I'm the one that's going to have to be washing my wife's feet tonight when we get home. But, I mean, it goes more than that. And this is a fine illustration of this. And one of the things that I like to say that I've kind of am still developing is that if for the husbands here, if you love your wife as Christ loves you, what kind of image is that portraying? So if you're loving your wife the same way that you would want Christ to love you, then wouldn't that change your way of thinking of how you should be loving your wife? Mm -hmm. If you treat your wife like trash, well, what if Christ treated you like that? How would you feel? And then you, on the, you're getting it. This, this is it. Yes. And then on the flip side of it, and I haven't focused too much in this area, but you know, if the wife is supposed to represent the church, well, how do you think the church feels when... Uh, they're disrespectful to Christ, you know, and it's like, if wives love their husbands as Christ, as the church loves Christ, then, you know, it's like, wow. So for me, applying it in real life, that's something that I've been thinking about for the past two weeks is, okay, illustrations of how Christ is loving the church. This is a fine illustration that we see of Christ loving the church by serving He's giving himself up for her. He's taking all the cultural norms and standards and saying, I don't care about that. This is how I want to serve you. So I guess that's encouragement for husbands here that it's more than just putting your foot down and uh, wearing the pants in the relationship. It's more along the lines of what foot does your wife want you to put down? What <laughs> pants does your wife want you to wear? <laughs> So, Tommy, you're onto something. Okay, so would this transform marriage? It would. It absolutely would. It truly would. Yeah, yeah. So, in the Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, what if Brooke was as committed as you to washing your feet as you are to washing hers? We'd just be having a quick washing party. What a marriage, right? Isn't that the whole point? And that's really Philippians 2, that if you consider the needs of the other person more important than your own, then you have, you have this mutual cross-pollination where person, the husband is so radically committed to pleasing the wife, and the wife so radically committed to pleasing her, that there's no neglect. There's mutual meeting of needs, and you have an absolutely phenomenal marriage, the way it was supposed to be. And when one person... develops a prideful, pharisaic attitude, what does the foot-washing counterpart do? No more foot-washing for you, buddy. Or does he, she continue to wash feet? And pray that the Spirit brings brokenness to the demanding spouse.
Yeah. There you go. This will radically transform marriage. Yes. So, <coughs> Janice, you're on to something. Everybody turn to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. This is regarding baptism. And by the way, Janice, there's a lot of language in John 13 about foot washing that has an echo. There's like a backstory echo about baptism here. Okay. So Galatians 3, <coughs> 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, because of that being clothed, notice the shattering of social norms and social paradigms. Therefore, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Major status-defining realities are completely destroyed. A male can no longer claim superiority over female. A, a, a free person cannot claim superiority over a slave. A Jew can no longer claim superiority over a Greek. Complete shattering of all social paradigms. Make sense? Yeah. So, like, stronger and weaker vessels there. Explain that in, in that. Yeah. Say it again, sir. S stronger and weaker vessels. Mm -hmm. Explain that in the context of Galatians 3. Yeah. It actually even takes it a step farther, Branson, because what it's saying is the stronger person, for example, the stronger person who is intellectually so smart, they know that that big, nice roast at the local religious annex, the, the meat market, which is an annex building to a temple cult, it's just a roast. It's all, it's just meat. That's all it is. And I'm the strong one. I'm intellectually smart, and I go like, what? There's no such thing as an idol. It's just meat. If we don't eat it, it's spoiled. My family needs the protein. I'm going to buy the roast and go home and cook you know, roasted potatoes for my family, right? But the weak person goes, oh, that was sacrificed to it, an idol. If I eat it, I'm supporting and endorsing the local pagan cult. There's no way I can do that. Make sense? That's like saying um, we can't support Disney because Disney's launching uh, some pretty subtle, pretty strategic, uh, literally Pavlovian concepts and ideas on how to move a society to embrace uh, a whole new way of understanding human sexuality. This, this pro-gay agenda that Hollywood has been really working out for about 30, 40 years, okay? Started with Three's Company a long, long time ago, just all kinds of stuff. Just movies and films and, and sitcoms that kind of push us and weave us into this idea. So therefore, we can't watch Disney. Because if you watch Disney, you're endorsing something that supports clearly unbiblical <coughs> morality, completely. And I'm picking on that one because it's easy. There's a bunch of them, racism. Whites think they're better than blacks. 
blacks think they're better than, than Hispanics. Hispanics think they're better than whites. You know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, one race thinks they're better than another. You know, males better than females, the whole bit. And, uh, and so it's in that dynamic, Branson, that the, the smart, who know better, they know theologically that it's just meat. It doesn't matter, eat it. It's on sale, it's cheap, get it. But, but then the, the weak, who have these really sensitive hearts, go, oh, a, a demon will jump in my soul if I put that piece of meat in my mouth or if I take it to the threshold. I brought the curse of, of a pagan society on my home if I take it in the house. So don't touch it. Wash your hands, wash your hands. You know, Paul's advice to them is wash each other's feet. If it's going to cause an offense, don't eat the meat. Don't eat it. If it's going to cause an offense to drink the wine, don't drink it. And we'll get into this, by the way, pretty soon as we jump into Romans 14. Paul does have an answer that if you, if you choose to buy the meat, what should you do with it? What do you do if you're going to buy it, if you're so strong? You take it home and you eat it and you be quiet about it. You don't make issue. I'm having meat for dinner tonight. I purchased it at the local cult annex building right down the street here. Don't flaunt your, your spiritual muscle. You know, don't do that because you're going to cause offense by the whole process. Just quietly do it at home. And don't ask, was this meat sacrificed to an idol? Just don't ask. Leave it alone. <laughs> don't step in it. So we'll get that. The idea is, can you love and serve? So... Let's push this. Is it really about tonight, if we've got a basin out and washed feet, are we really doing the holy thing? Not really. Not really. I, now we're putting a lot of spotlight on Andrew. What Andrew did for James tonight is really the embodiment of what this whole foot washing thing is about. She's tired. She's exhausted. She's got a million things going on. And she has a house full of approximately 32 children who all, all want everything from her at the very same time, 36 hours a day, right? She gets one hour of sleep a night and has 18 tons of laundry to do and has to cook for an entire army barracks. That's all. Not a big deal, right? But she takes time out of her day to spend 30 minutes with a guy who's got stage 4 cancer. Chris, that was not anywhere near was as it bigger than that? as... <laughs> Getting in the Yukon today and discovering that when the fish bucket turned over on Monday, there were five fish that didn't make it back into the bucket. And it was a hot day. I was happy to go to James's house. Let's just be real careful. We don't want to go over the top here. As I recall, that's the second fish incident in the Yukon. That there was shrimp. Or something that happened a few months back last year. So Andrea, our PhD in amphibian aquatic removal lady, <laughs> manages to find her way to a guy with stage four cancer to do what is truly needful for him. That is more at getting at the heart of what it means to wash feet. If I may, but yes, sir. This is really striking me personally, very strong. I'm going to tell something about the Navy in case you guys didn't know that. Really? I spent a couple of, couple of years there. Uh, a ship structure is you've got the captain, and the Navy reinforces that with he has his own cabin, he has a day cabin. He has his own galley, and he has two stewards that do nothing but tend to him. It's not only that he's the captain, but it reinforces that he is uh, much higher rank than you are, even his second-in-command, who only has a much smaller stateroom. So the captain is... Uh, Simon Peter. <laughs> and if somebody was going to wash his feet, he would be adamant that that ain't happening. Not only because uh, it is degrading, but you 
lessen my status within my commands. Mm -hmm. And I can see how this whole flip-flop, putting it in that context for me, is it strikes home. And understand when I say humility was not a big virtue in the armed services. It did not show up on the list. <laughs> We're going to be brave and courageous and true blue and all this. Humility didn't make that list. <laughs> You don't defeat the enemy by being humble. Mm. But you do. Wow. Uh, I hope that makes some kind of sense because it did to me. It mm. really struck home with me while I was reading this. I was mm. like, wow. We, we do defeat the enemy by humility now, don't we? Wow. Yeah. So, in a way, if you really do get your, your head around baptism, and you really do get your head around the Lord's Supper, and you really do get your head around foot washing, you understand it has everything to do with treating people the way Jesus treated you. If you will let him treat you, yes. are you going to let him wash you, yeah. put you in the wedding place? Yeah. Exactly. And it can only be by faith. Only be by faith. Yeah. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed. By the way, that's the setting that this teaching on foot washing was given. That very setting. And when he had given thanks, and that's Greek for Eucharist. You is good, charis is thanks. Eucharist. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is in the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Bruce, would you pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper?